Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. And welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. Yes, sir. It is May the 1st. We have made it through the month of April, one of the months with only 30 days. Whole new round of bills. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Speaking of bills, today, May the 1st, the new mortgage rules go into effect. If you haven't heard about this, folks, the Federal Housing Agency has adopted new rules that, in a nutshell, cause the cost of a mortgage, the monthly cost of a mortgage, for those with higher credit scores, indicating that they are, in general, more responsible handling their household financial affairs, they will pay higher mortgage costs, rates, than those who are less responsible and have lower credit scores. And, of course, this is in the name of equity. The march to mediocrity continues, my friends. You've taken care of your business. You've worked to get your financial house in order. You've got good credit scores. You're excited. You go apply for a mortgage. You're buying a house. And you learn that, oh, well, your rate's going to be higher to help your neighbor who was just here, whose credit scores suck and who have not handled their fiscal affairs in a responsible fashion. You are going to have to subsidize them. This is, of course, in the name of equity. That's what it's all about. The left might get mad at me about this, Rhino, but this really is rooted in Marxism. It truly is. From each according to their ability to each according to their need? Correct. And this, yeah, that's Marxism. Yeah, and grouping people based on their economic status. Of course, we also, in this country, we group, just kind of taking a, a page out of the Marxist playbook, we group in accordance with racial identity and gender identity, and, of course, we attribute 
inherited guilt to a sect of society as well. But this is really a perverse rule, and the GOP is slamming the Biden administration. And this is another example where this is being done by a rogue agency without congressional authority. The Congress does not run the country. The people you elect to send to Washington are not in charge. It's the unelected bureaucrats. There is a swath of them. This is what Donald Trump referred to as the swamp, the deep state. This is they. In all their splendor, they run the country. Stuff that affects you on a day-to-day basis has a greater impact on your life. It emanates from the agencies, from the bureaucrats in the agencies. Of course, they don't got a care in the world. They got guaranteed income, a very attractive pension, benefits. Heck, many of them are still at home. You've seen that, haven't you, Rhino? They haven't haven't called them back to the office yet. They're still working from home. And when they do call them back to the office, they raise 40 cans of hell. No doubt about it. It's crazy. Closer to home, what's some of the stuff going on here, Rhino, other than UMC terminating their relationship with the Mississippi Hospital Association? That just that came out after the show on Friday, I believe. A weekend story. Also, it's been revealed the MHA has contributed $250,000 to Democrat Governor, uh, gubernatorial candidate, Brandon Presley, 250K. They gave 50K to Jim Hood, the Democrat candidate, in 2019. This is, this kind of opened your eyes a little bit. This is 250,000, five times as much. 5X. 250K. Now, of course, Brandon Presley, a proponent, I think, Virtually all Democrats in the state are of Medicaid expansion. Well, it's because Democrats don't understand basic math. There's no doubt about that. We need a dollar. Yeah, let's do this thing that gives you 60 cents. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you're so true. Uh, That's so true. And, you know, one of the things that you, you reminded me of this, and I'll get to it in a bit, but one of the things that the president said, we played his his announcement last week when he and he did it via video he didn't do it live i mean typically when you're running for president isn't that something you do live big event a very festive energetic invigorating you're there live you're getting fired up you're surrounded by friendlies you're kicking off your campaign you're trying to drive the energy not joe he does it with a video in most of that video, he just blasted MAGA Republican in the video. And he's calling them out, as are many other Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries. He's calling them out. They're calling the GOP out for their their debt ceiling bill that they passed by the slimmest of margins, two votes in the House. 
and headed to the Senate where Chuck Schumer says it's dead on arrival. But one of the things you've heard him sort of clamor is that Republicans would end veterans' benefits. You heard that? It's such a farce. They want to cut veterans' benefits. And unfortunately, their trained SEAL constituents, yeah, Republicans want to cut veterans' benefits. We can't do that. No, it's bit it's a bit duplicitous. It's more than a bit. <laughs> this refers to duplicity. Okay, I agree with you. It's it's it refers to the fact that the proposal would return spending, discretionary spending, to 2022 levels. So it was fine six months ago, but now it's ending veterans' benefits. Huh? Just want to return it to that level. And then hold the line on that. I mean, it's like you're the devil. You're the demon. You're a villain for suggesting that. It's $850 billion is appropriated to defense. I'm not exactly sure of the amount of that that goes to veterans' benefits, but I'm fairly confident you can find some stuff, some some uh, unnecessary fluff spending that could be cut from that $850 billion to ensure that we don't, in fact, cut benefits. I don't know how much money we spend on all this DEI training in the military, but I bet it's a pretty penny. Why don't we cut that, for starters? It's being reported that our military is struggling to recruit. I wonder why. Oh, come on in here so, like, within a couple of days, you're going to have to pledge that you're a recipient of white privilege if you're a white person joining the military. And if you're a minority, come on in and we'll tell you that you're just, you've been oppressed your whole life. And that's your oppressor, your fellow soldier that one day you may have to rely on to save your hide. It's worked pretty well, is it not? I've never heard any reports, somebody help me out here, where in the heat of battle, that those uh, wearing our uniform would take action based on the race of their cohorts in the military? Is that, has that ever happened before? Well, I'm not going to help them out. They're of the wrong race. I mean, I'm sure it has, but that's a surefire way of getting your butt shot. Oh, there's no doubt about it. That's a, it's a good uh, point there. Everybody's walking around with a gun that they legally can use. Yeah. Gosh, I, we have to insert that narrative in every aspect of society, and I think it's bringing us down. Another day, another bank failure. We're in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. Oliver Diaz at 11.05. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Element Wealth Studios. Again, at 11.05, Oliver Diaz, opinion contributor to Super Talk Mississippi News, former justice, of course, of the Mississippi Supreme Court, joins us on the ceasefire tax line. In my day, we were all green no matter what the skin color is. And I think you hear that over and over again from the good folks that have served their country in wearing their uniform. You hear that over and over again. And I totally believe that. I just never seen any evidence of just overt racism in our military. And I question whether or not all of these activities, all of these seminars and modules and <laughs> all these various, uh, I guess, indoctrination, really, that the military is implemented, and it's all because of the top brass who see fit to do so. General Milley, who, of course, infamously said that the number one challenge in the military is white rage. Remember that, Rhino? We played the tape on the show here. was called to the Hill to testify about that, and he tried to walk it back, honestly, but it wasn't very successful. I think... um, Senator Josh Hawley, Senator Cruz questioned him about that, Senator Kennedy. But I just wonder if maybe that's why they're struggling recruiting. And it also probably doesn't help when you, the Secretary of Energy declares that, yeah, we're going to transition the military to all electric in seven years. And folks thinking about maybe signing up are saying, I don't know about that. I might get killed, honestly. If I have to go into harm's way and you accept that, if you join the military, you hope that never happens. We The, the goal is to deter conflict, war. That's the goal. Strong military, the goal is to deter other nations from acting stupid, thus requiring us to Respond. That's the that's the goal. But if you have to, you want the best technology, the best assets, the most prepared human resources. Sailors, soldiers, airmen, marines, you want the best ready to respond. Well just look at how ignorant Grand Home really is. We're in America. The greatest country on the planet. And we don't have the infrastructure to properly roll out electric vehicles for the population in America. Now fast forward to a war zone where power is cut, roads are impassable, buildings are destroyed. If the greatest country in the world doesn't have the infrastructure to roll it out for its people, do you really think, in a war-torn country, the best of the best are going to be using it, too? Oh, of course. It's it's insanity. Are we just sitting back hoping and praying that our opponents of the future are going to have electric charging stations on every street corner and make sure those are still working, even though the people's fridges and lights are off? We're sitting ducks is what we are. It's because we got stupid people with D's by their name making decisions. Hmm. It's box, and the D stands for dumb. It's box-checking management. 
On the ceasefire text line, Ben from Madison says, didn't the MHA donate 100000 to the Lieutenant Governor Hoseman? I'm honestly not sure. Haven't checked it, Ben. I do know that I think there was a deadline, right? A, a donation deadline, campaign donation deadline. I'm not quite sure. I, I believe the deadline was for reporting what has been raised right, so far. Right, and that's that's what they're so they're always candidates are pushing for campaign contributions. Well, that's what I mean uh, for the this re- reporting cycle because you want to show up and report. Hey, look how good I'm doing, raising money. Because there may be those on the sidelines that like you and want to contribute, but they're concerned about your ability to raise money because they know money is required to succeed in politics. And when they see you raising money, they say, okay, well, it looks like you're doing well. You're working hard to to, uh, produce contributions, donations to your campaign. Therefore, I'll jump in. That's the idea. It's um, it just shows strength and activity and momentum. So I honestly don't know, and I, I I don't know that the MHA provided any specific reason for making the, such a large contribution to Commissioner Presley, candidate for governor as a Democrat. But I think one would have to assume. It's because of his position, his support for Medicaid expansion, the MHA's support for Medicaid expansion, and Governor Reeves's opposition to it. I mean, that's just kind of deductive reasoning there. Again, it's no, nothing specific that I've seen in, in a statement from uh, the MHA. Yeah, so I, I've seen that too, Ben. There are sources reporting that they've committed a hundred thousand. Okay, but apparently nothing to Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, nothing specific. And you know, I I can tell you in conversations with the Lieutenant Governor, I, I would describe it as tacit support for Medicaid expansion, but acknowledgement that it is not a cure all for. The uh, the fate, the current fate of the hospital community industry in the state, which is suffering financially. And it's not just rural hospitals. It's big hospitals in the urban areas as well are finding it difficult to um, generate a positive cash flow. And across the nation, honestly, you got large entities such as the Cleveland Clinic, Mayo, uh, both of whom are upside down financially. Can't make ends meet either from a financial perspective. It's a huge problem in this country, and uh, there, there are no easy solutions to it. And Medicaid expansion, Medicaid in general, is really not a solution to the financial challenges that hospitals and healthcare providers face. It's it's um, cost exceeding revenue. It's just simple as that. And in and in Mississippi, we have an outsized problem of uncompensated, unreimbursed services. Folks get healthcare, and they don't pay. They don't have insurance. Don't have the means to pay. 
the hospitals, the providers absorb it, and to a great extent, those of us with extremely expensive private coverage subsidize that. Now, the providers don't like you to say that. Yeah, no, you're not really subsidizing. You're just covering those in your pool, essentially, that the universe of those with private coverage. I, I don't accept that at face value, honestly. It's all in the same book. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's just what stream of revenue is the source. And you put that together and say, here's my revenue, here are my cost, and what falls out is... It's like the mob saying, no, 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 you can't take that money. That's actually <laughs> from the laundromat. That's not money laundering. Yeah, I know. Steve and Potter talk. People say the EVs will save the planet, but what is not shown are the are the amount of people in the cobalt mines in Africa with a lot of slave labor. I think the other thing that's missed is just how much our push for EVs benefits China, our most ardent foe. In a lot of ways, not not just the materials, but there's a lot of other aspects of that as well. My take's real simple on the whole EV thing. I, I'm a market guy. I believe in the market. When when EVs can deliver the same value as a traditional fossil fuels-powered, internal combustion-powered vehicle, when they can deliver the same value, and by that I mean not just economic value. I'm talking about convenience, practicality, uh, obviously not just the one-time cost, but the life cycle cost of ownership, when that can equate or exceed those of what we've, we're all presently accustomed to, well, then you got a winner. You'll have broad adoption. That's the way markets work. The government forcing on us is a huge mistake, and I strenuously oppose that approach. You will buy an EV. I disagree with that totally. We're stepping aside for a break here on Middays. Once again, Oliver Diaz, opinion contributor, Super Talk Mississippi News, and former Justice Mississippi Supreme Court at 11.05. It's Mondays. That means Ricky Matthews will bring you Super Talk Outdoors at 12.05. Coming right back. Podcasts. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, it is middays. So, yeah, Hunter Biden in Arkansas today, court hearing in a child support case. I think his position is he is not the father. Is that right? That Even though understand? a paternity test has proven he is the father. Yep, he's in Batesville, Arkansas. Navy Jones paternity case. Laura, uh, London Roberts, the mother of four-year-old Navy Jones Roberts, 
says they reached an agreement in 2020 uh, regarding the paternity and child support payments. But apparently that case has been reopened. Hmm. Uh, What are the chances that this guy is probably, I shouldn't even say probably, that this guy is the father? He seems to be a a very promiscuous uh, individual. Adventurous would be a nice way of putting it. But when you see photos of him in a drug-induced state, looking like, honestly, a destitute, I think there's a strong possibility. The president doesn't talk about it very much. An order in 2020, apparently, that uh, was issued by County Circuit Judge Holly Meyer, declared, quote, with near scientific certainty that Biden is the father of the girl, referred to in court documents as Baby Doe. Interesting. So we'll keep an eye on that, see where it's going. The president is getting scolded by states. We were all over this, Rhino, before this really became the headline news, this mortgage deal. The states are scolding Joe, saying that it's a redistribution rule and that it is, quote, unconscionable. They call it a middle-class tax hike. I agree. Someone did ask on the ceasefire tax line if their mortgage would be adjusted based on this rule. No, your existing mortgage would not. This would apply to any new mortgage applications that involve the FHA programs of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And it it actually has to do with the fees, the fee structure uh, that is uh, part of the mortgage process. And so what it does is it increases fees for higher credit scores and decreases it for lower credit scores. It's supposed to be the opposite. So on average, it's being reported by Bankrate.com. You know who those guys are. They're a a really good digital source. I don't know if they have any printed media materials content, but they've been around a while, and they track mortgage rates and everything related to home buying, the cost of financing home buying, for some time. It's a good source to just shop rates, etc. And what they're reporting is that a 740 credit score with 20% down, 20% is kind of a, a magic figure. I call it magic because it uh, it decreases what's called the Uh, loan to actually increases the ratio, the loan-to-value ratio. And when that happens, that just means you've got more equity in the property that's being financed. So if you buy a $100,000 house, you put 20% down, you're going to borrow 80%, your loan-to-value is that 80%. So the lower the lower the loan to value 
then the higher, and with a high credit score, the lower is your mortgage rate. Bottom line is, if you've got more invested up front, you're going to pay a lower mortgage. If you're financing 95%, some cases, you can get 100%, some lenders. If you're financing a high percentage of the total value of the property, you're going to pay, typically, you're going to get a higher mortgage rate will apply. So the 20% also usually means you can be exempt from carrying private mortgage insurance. That's just insurance that would pay it off in the event of death or other default. Some lenders, most honestly, require that's called PMI if you don't have at least 20% down. So if you can get to that figure, then you're going to have a lower loan-to-value, LTB, don't typically have to have private mortgage insurance. You're going to get lower mortgage rates, but under this new new rule, 20% down, 740 credit. Looking at this example, for a $350,000 mortgage before today, your fee would be $1,750. Now, $3,062. About a 40-something percent increase, just because... You did all the right things. You put 20% down, got a 740 credit score, you've been responsible in handling your household finances, whereas it's just the opposite when you put less down, have a higher loan-to-value, and have a lower credit score. All the ingredients, it's just exactly opposite of the way it's worked for quite some time. It, it'd be, make this analogy, Rhino, you're, you're taking a test classic sort of objective scoring of a test. You get more answers right, you get a lower score than the person sitting next to you. They got fewer answers right. They get a higher score. You're scratching your head saying, what the heck happened? I got more right here. I'm sorry, you had to give some to the person next to you. Got to have a little test scoring redistribution. That's what this is. It's exactly what this is. In the name of equity. It's exactly, exactly what it is. Unbelievable. Rhett and Ridgeland says, my wife works for a national lender. No one is paying full fees right now. We talking about FHA-type loans? Because these rules apply to those, obviously. And that is, uh, that's a done deal. That's going into effect today. Near scientific certainty shouldn't convince anybody rational of anything. It doesn't take science to prove that Hunter Biden is a scumbag, just an honest prosecutor and judge, says Rick at the beach on the ceasefire text line. Yeah, but I think this, I mean, there's no law against being a scumbag. They, they may have some legal consequences here, specifically child support payments. That's really what's at stake here. How many lenders are giving lender credits, which essentially negates part of the fees? There's some restrictions around that, though, Rhett, with respect to FHA loans. That's that's really the point here. Uh, on the solar vehicle deal, Stephen Ponatok says, I sent an email to a company in California that produces a solar electric vehicle. I'll ask them how efficient the Aptera would be in the wintertime when the heater was turned on. I never got a reply. 
You know, I I say again that any focus placed on the present technology of EVs would be like, I guess, evaluating a bag phone of the 80s and saying, yeah, that's not very practical because it's 35 cents a minute and only works when you're in a densely populated area where coverage exists and I need to have it all over the country. I need it to to do a lot more than just transmit and receive voice, and I don't need these gigantic batteries and have to attach it in my car. I, I agree. Guess what? That happened. So, again, I'm a big fan of and believer in human innovation and the ability to solve human problems. But until that happens, we shouldn't be forced. And that's what's happening. The government is forcing, and they're actually trying to buy the agenda by giving you credits to run out and buy these vehicles. I oppose that. I don't think that's wise. I don't think these are ready for prime time in a ubiquitous fashion. Surely there are a lot of people, and the sales of uh, electric vehicles are up dramatically, substantially over the last uh, year or so. So there there are practical uses, and there are a lot of of drivers, motorists, they work just fine for. There are a lot that don't. And But what we do know is traditional internal combustion engine-powered vehicles, they work in all cases. And when EVs get to that point, and there's no difference in cost, or in fact, if it's even lower talking about life cycle costs, upfront and operating costs, then the market will jump all over it. Coming right back with the final segment in the first hour, and then Judge Oliver Diaz at 11.05. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. You mean that's a Tom Petty remake of the famous Green Onion? Wow. It's actually a live performance. Jeez. Didn't know that. On the ceasefire text line, uh, then they will use diesel generators to charge them. Yeah, I mean, I I know. I get all the objections and, and all the obstacles, all the concerns. I'm with you. But I also know that humans are incredibly inventive, innovative, and there are where there's money to be made, human innovation will prevail. And all of these issues we're facing today with all this electric-powered stuff, I believe they will go by the wayside. Not next year or the year after, maybe not in our lifetime, but eventually. Smart people will figure this out. And it may not be electric, honestly. But it is most certainly asinine to expect the military to go electric by 2030. 
you can jet set around San Francisco all you want to for your lattes and your Fendi bag or whatever, and as long as you don't go 200 miles, you're fine. The military does not have that option. When they have to go, they have to go. You know, who's seen the movie Patton? Yeah. When they ran out of gas, they ran out of gas. They couldn't keep fighting. Are you going to wait for them to charge up in an infrastructure environment without the ability to charge? It's it's stupid on Granholm's part. No doubt about it. And and that issue was was pivotal in the Allies defeating the Germans. Honestly, it came down to that. It's why we created the petroleum reserve originally. It was to store oil for a rainy day in a military conflict. That's what it's all about. That's why it's crazy for Joe Biden to deplete it the way he did. And other presidents have done it, but they sold it off a little bit and then replenished it. He freaking depleted it. More than a third now has been taken out, all in an effort to push the price down. Here's what I believe. I believe we may have seen the lowest price we'll ever see for gas in this country. I think it's over. I think it's nothing but up from here. And this is largely driven by a government who don't want us to use gas anymore. And the other irony of that is that the people they claim to be champions for are who gets hurt the most by this. You can't have both. You simply can't ram through your radical climate agenda and expand economic opportunity and provide financial relief to a large segment of the population. Those two issues are at odds. And that's what's happening right now. And they refuse to admit it. Won't admit it. They stay away from talking anything about the economy. The only thing you hear out of Joe, all these jobs we created. That's such a ruse because it was the left that killed all the jobs with the COVID shutdown crap. All they're really doing is going back. It's not like there's been massive economic expansion. If that were the case, then we'd see GDP at uh, measuring in at more than the, the latest report, which was 1.1%. And they act like that, oh, yeah, it's because of the president's policies that that all these jobs were created. People just went back to work after you told them to to stay home, to bend the curve, right, for two weeks or whatever the hell it was. So that, that on the surface, is disingenuous. Simply not true. So I still believe there's lots of innovation and ingenuity uh, on the horizon that will address the issues today. But forcing it at an unnatural rate before ready for prime time is bad policy and it and is more harmful than good. But and Jennifer Granholm, let's be honest, she she may be the Lowest intellect, shall we say, member of the cabinet. I mean, the cabinet ain't real bright to start with. She may be at the bottom of the heap. And it's not just this I'm talking about. And and again, zero experience, right, in energy. Kind of like Mayor Pete running the Department of Transportation as a mayor of a small city. 
But he likes trains. He that, that was his qualifications. And this was all about checking boxes in the name of diversity, equity, and inclusion where we don't consider one's experience or qualifications or value contribution once they go to work. If you question their capability, you're labeled with all the ists and isms the left can muster. It's totally true. It's the march to mediocrity on full display is what it is. It's time for a break. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News, and then Judge Oliver Diaz on the other side. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live from the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now, opinion contributor to Super Talk Mississippi News, former justice of the Mississippi Supreme Court, Judge Oliver Diaz. Good to see you there, Justice. How are you today, sir? Doing great. Good morning, Gerard. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I read uh, your article. It was It was fascinating. You've traveled quite a bit, and you make some observations in your article about Americans traveling abroad versus Americans seeing the good old USA. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, thanks for reading. I appreciate that. Um, I'm trying. My my intent here is to try to get more Americans involved in traveling. Uh, you know, we don't think of it a lot of times, but uh, traveling is a basic right that americans have um it's not something that uh, comes natural we have to uh exercise our right you know you hear people debating maybe the second amendment the first amendment all of our constitutional rights but one of our constitutional rights is the right to travel and americans seem to take it for granted i mean there's never any debate about traveling you know if we want to get in the car and drive over to louisiana watch a saints game or um drive down to destin for the weekend at the beach we just jump in the car and do it. We don't think that we're actually crossing state borders in order to do that. And at one time, that that was not a right that Americans had. We would have been stopped at each border, maybe had a passport to, to have access into even a different state. But the uh, Supreme Court has ruled that the right to travel is a basic right of Americans, and we need to exercise that right. Yeah, and it's somewhat unique uh, to America, is it not, Judge? Well, it is. Um, you know, an American passport is one of the most valuable travel documents there is in the world. Um, Americans, there, there, there are basically 193, I think it is, countries recognized by the United Nations, and I think maybe six territories. But uh, a, a United States passport allows American citizens to travel to 186 of those countries without applying for a visa in advance, which is incredible. Wow. I mean, that's that's access to the entire world that Americans have. By contrast, let me give you a, a real contrast. Um, America only allows 
40 countries to travel into the United States, citizens of 40 countries to travel here without a visa prior to uh, coming to the States. That's amazing. It's. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that there are a lot of Americans that really have not traveled in their lives too far away from where they live. And it seems like those who live in the more populated areas, in, in my experience in, in traveling all across the country, I'm always stunned to find out just how little traveling people that live in these big centers of, of population have done. Yeah, uh, the the stats are that only about 40% of Americans even have a passport, which allows you to travel outside the country. So basically 60% of Americans don't even have a passport or access to international wow. travel. Um, so, you know, it's it's but 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 there's several reasons for that. I mean, America is a really big country. There's a lot to do here. You don't have to travel outside the country, maybe, you know, to change your scenery. If I want to go to the mountains, I can just drive up to Tennessee a few hours away and I'm in the mountains. Uh, we can do that. But uh, but by limiting ourselves to the United States, we're really limiting our access to the world. I mean, there's there's so much to see and do out there. And and I really want to encourage Americans to get out there and travel internationally. You know, I travel a lot. And I see, I mean, we see Australians a lot. They, Australians travel the world. They're great travelers. Hmm. Um, we see um, uh, Europeans are out there all the time. Uh, we run into Europeans everywhere we go. Uh, we very rarely run into fellow Americans while we're traveling outside the United States. It's really a, a, a funny thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so much so that when we are traveling, and if I go to a country, uh, people really want to talk to me and find out more about America because they they see so few American tourists outside the country. Yeah. And so uh, you also discuss in the article, Judge, about uh, how Americans generally don't speak another language, but folks in other can- countries do are usually multilingual and, and most, in fact, speak English. Yeah, that one of the great things I've, um, I've recognized, and I'm one of those Americans. I don't speak a foreign language. I, I, I have enough uh, Spanish to get by. I can ask for a cerveza for for more, <laughs> but uh, you know that's about it. Um, but but the great thing is that uh, I found that English really is an international language. It's the the language of of commerce and business all around the world. No matter where I go, I've I've found people not only that speak English, but they actually are excited about speaking to an American or somebody speaking English because they want to practice their English. Yeah. And so I find that uh, we get a lot of people that, that really go out of their way to help us because they want to learn about America and, and, and even just uh, how to speak English uh, better on their own. Yeah. That's uh, that's truly amazing. And, you know, I, I found the same in, in my travels. I spent a lot of time uh, in New York, a lot of time in L.A., a lot of time in the Silicon Valley, uh, Vegas, for example. And there are attractions in America that do draw people from all across the world into the country. But it just seems like less or so of us tra- traveling abroad. And I'll admit, I'm one of those, but I'm seriously considering it uh, now that I'm, I'm sort of done with my business career. Uh, my wife and I, we'd love to, to visit Europe. Have you been to Europe? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been to Europe a good bit. Um, 
one of the great experiences I had in Europe was uh, actually walking the um, Camino de Santiago. It's a um, it's a pilgrimage, a long trail. Uh, it's actually um, about uh, 750 miles um, of, of walking through um, Spanish countryside, which was incredible. Um, we actually extended it and walked through France and Spain. We walked um, every day for about 64 days, I think it was, yeah. across France and Spain. And um, it, it was just incredible. It's a great way to travel because you're going through these very tiny villages. They're very uh, yeah, that 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 don't get uh, the standard tourists. So yeah. they get a lot of people walking through there do, doing the trail. So um, it, it was just a, uh, an amazing experience to you know wake up in a different small little European village every morning, uh, you know, and, and go about the day uh, almost living as a local, which is what we like to do. You get a better feel for an area and you get to know people better by, you know, living like they do rather than coming in as a tourist on a tour bus, maybe going to one of the big sites. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. I mean, you want to see the big major attractions, but there's also something about just immersing yourself in a, in a, in a country, and getting to know people, getting to know the the customs and and what they do. I mean, for instance, uh, one of the things we found while we were walking, you, you know, in America, you, you want to you'll go into a convenience store and pick up a sandwich and you know put it maybe in your backpack and and you're fin- finished for the day. Yeah. Well, a lot of these places don't even have convenience stores. We would have to go to the local uh, bakery and get some bread maybe go next door to the butcher and get some slices of meat for that bread and then go next door to that and have the, the cheese shop and maybe get a little, a few slices of cheese and then the uh, outside uh, vegetable uh, market and you can pick up a few vegetables. So, you know, it's a totally different uh, culture and, a, and different customs, but you learn those, and, and it, it's so amazing to be able to immerse yourself like that. That's incredible. You've got uh, a couple of minutes left. You've got a distinguished career, um, Judge. What are you keeping yourself busy with this day, these days? Besides <laughs> traveling, of course. Well, uh, <laughs> well, that has been the uh, the, the main uh, focus lately. Uh, we did uh, seven months in Africa Wow! Um, a couple of years ago. We did nine months in South America, just traveling around, um, just, you know, months in, wow. in Europe. So so I've been taking my time doing that. But I'm also writing. Um, I still uh, do a little practice of law. Um, I've, I've served as an expert witness in some cases, uh I help out uh, some of my friends who need help on their cases. So yeah. I'm I'm staying busy, but but I but I'm enjoying writing mainly. I've I've, I've started doing a lot of writing and uh, really enjoying that. Well, I certainly enjoyed uh, your your article, and I look forward to uh, to more uh, being published at Super Top Mississippi. Wonderful, News. yeah. Well, Very. that's the plan. I intend to keep writing, so I awesome. keep reading. Very insightful. You got any trips planned uh, in the near future? Well, actually, we're planning something. Uh, we're we're not sure. One of the great things we do, we don't really plan a lot of our trip. We'll we'll plan the first uh, stop, and if we like a place, we'll stay there for a while. And if we don't like it, we can move on. Um, and and so, you know, we're we're free to do that. Uh, it, it, retirement frees you up to do a lot of things like sure. that. So uh, yeah, we're, we're we've got something in the works. Have fun. Good luck to you. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Judge. 
Thanks, sir. I really enjoyed it. Good seeing you. Yes, sir. Coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Days with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Greenwood says, so that's why all these illegals cross from Mexico to practice their English. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, they're certainly streaming on across, and any discussion of gaining control of the border and properly enforcing our laws and regulating the crossing of people into this country who are not citizens will draw the ire, will it, Rhino, from the left? They go crazy with all the isms and the ists and all that other sort of stuff simply because you support this silly notion of sovereignty and making sure you have half a clue who comes into the country. Was there not another situation over the weekend with an illegal that uh, snuffed out the life in Texas, I believe, right? That happened? Yeah, there was a family trying to put their baby down for a nap or to go to sleep, and they walked next door to ask the neighbor who was just in his yard shooting if he could keep it down while they put the baby to bed. And uh, he said, nope, and went into a rage and went over there and started killing. Unbelievable. And it's been reported that all parties involved are in the United States illegally. Oh, but it's the guns. Unbelievable. Robert Brandon says Secretary Granholm may very well be the least informed and least qualified cabinet member in the history of cabinet members. Mayor Pete is a close second with his racist roads. Yeah, I agree. Granholm is just unimpressive. It goes back to first when she was named as the nominated to be the cabinet secretary for the Department of Energy. And then we found the video where she, the silly video, honestly, where she participated, made an appearance calling for oil to stay in the ground, no more gasoline. Little snippy kind of tune, remember that? Gasoline, gasoline, something like that. And and then when she was, not too long after she was seated as Secretary of the Energy, she was testifying up on the Hill, and someone just asked a very simple question, hey, how much oil do we use a day? I, I don't know, I have to get back to you. She didn't know. Just seems like you're. that's something you 
kind of commit to memory when you're the Secretary of Energy, you'd have some clue as to what our consumption of energy is. You know, Secretary of Energy, consumption of energy, what it takes to power the country. I want to know that. We're not talking about third-order calculus here. (laughs) We're just talking about one simple figure. And she could not respond with that information. And then now her absurd suggestion that we should convert powering the entire U.S. military with electricity in a short seven years. That, too, is insanity. And she says it with, oh, yeah, it's totally possible. Mm. Meantime, so often we have discussed that it's so difficult to find any congruence among the parties in this country on issues. And it sort of starts with the fundamentals that we can't agree on what um, what is a woman and what is a man. And we've seen, seems like, countless figures appear in the halls of Congress on the left who, when asked such a question, I guess it goes back to Senator Marsha Blackburn asking candidate for Supreme Court Justice, her name escapes me now, um, Rhino, but remember that famous line of questioning when she asked the candidate. Kentucky Brown. Thank you. I know it started with a K, and I just couldn't remember. Appreciate that. Can you define a woman? And and she said, a woman? And Blackburn says, well, yeah. And she gave some silly answer that never really answered the question, never adequately, concretely responded. So I've made, um, I've made some comments on the show about how impressed I am with presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. And he was on with Chuck Todd over the weekend. Listen to this exchange between the candidate and Mr. Todd. But below the age of 18, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that we won't allow genital mutilation or chemical castration through puberty blockers. You're calling it that, but how do you know it's that? Again, how do you know, are are you confident that you know that gender uh, is... Uh, as binary as you're describing it? Are you confident that it isn't a spectrum? I am. Uh, you know I'm, this as a scientist? Spectrum. Well, there's, there's two X chromosomes if you're a woman, an X and a Y. That means there's you're a man. There's a lot of scientific research out there. There's a lot of scientific research out there that says gender is a spectrum. Chuck, I, I respectfully disagree. Gender dysphoria for most of our history, all the way through the DSM-5, has been characterized as a mental health disorder. And I don't think it's compassionate to affirm that. I think that's cruelty. When a kid is crying out for help, mm-hmm. what they're asking for is, you got to ask the question of what else is going wrong at home? What else is going wrong at school? Let's be compassionate and get to the heart of that, rather than playing this game as though we're actually changing right. our medical understanding I, for the last I, I go back years. to this. If a parent is dealing with a child that has these, that that may have these issues, trust me, the parent, the last thing they want to do is consider something like this. Wrong. But if that is what they think could help their child pursue happiness or they're not to kill themselves, why take away that option? Again, 
Why shouldn't it be up to the parents? So part of why parents now suddenly feel that way, let's ask ourselves that, Chuck, because we've created a culture that teaches parents that they're being bigoted or that they're bad people if they don't actually take those steps. So part of what I think is, listen, gender dysphoria for the rare few people who have suffered it Mm -hmm. is a condition of suffering. My question is, why on earth are we going out of our way Mm -hmm. to create even more of it? And there's no doubt that the cultural movement in this country, even education, is creating more gender dysphoria. If it's a condition of suffering, let's not create more of it. That's what we're doing. I thought that was so well articulated. You're just creating more pain, more suffering. That's, yeah, exactly. And he's wrong about, oh, the last thing they want to do. No, it's for that damn attention that you talk about all the time. Remember that Pantene ad we played of the lesbian couple that were just ecstatic, celebrating because their male 10 or 11-year-old was demonstrating, exhibiting gender dysphoria and wanted to let their hair grow out, play with dolls, and do things typical 10-year-old girls do. And they're just, like, giddy about it. You're wrong, Chuck Todd. You're not paying attention to what's happening. Because the left has held it up as some sort of trophy. It's, it's like you've conquered some hill. True. They refuse to even acknowledge the possibility that it could be a social contagion. Right, exactly. Right, and that maybe they just need some mental counseling. No, they want to rush immediately. Great, let's go get your breast chopped off and mutilate your genitals. Yeah, and change your pronouns and your name and everything else. And start dressing and going to the bathroom with the other biological sex, and, and of course, participate in sports as well. And then, you remember the story we shared about the school district? I think it was in New Jersey where they had this concept known as love bombing, where they shower a child who is just maybe just hinting that they're confused about their gender. And they start this barrage of praise in email and in person. We're so proud of you, little male Jimmy, for saying you may want to be Sally. This is fantastic. In any other situation, love bombing would be considered manipulative. It would be considered a red flag for potential domestic violence or abuse. So true. Because it's how the abusers hide their abuse. So now, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I gave you a black eye. Here's a dozen roses and a box of chocolates in your favorite rom-com. That's not me. That's not who I am. Is all forgiven, honey. That's, that's love bombing. Yeah, it's tr- just, just all you're doing is buying more opportunity to commit the same heinous acts. That's what you're doing. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Chuck Todd, you're out of touch, man. Vivek handled that perfectly, I thought. Well, yeah, there's XX and there's XY. That's pretty much the way it's been. Are you denying that now? We should just expunge that from all the science books? Unbelievable. We're stepping aside for a break here on uh, Middays. We're coming right back again in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs> you see it? Oh, it didn't come through yet? Not yet. I said, <laughs> I can't quit laughing. We're talking about this EV stuff. The New York Post, famous, of course, for their, their uh, rather provocative uh, cover. You see it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so this one, folks, features Governor Kathy Hochul of the Empire State. A headshot of her with (laughs) the flames from a gas stove, the the circular element with the little uh, flames. blue flames. (laughs) Above her head. And the the, uh, headline says, she's D- Hyphen ranged. That's awesome. Very creative. <laughs> the crown is great, isn't it? Yeah, she's a fool, by the way. Completely. Running, uh, is that the second most, third most popular state in the country, I believe? I, I'm not uh, informed on what the present order is. California, of course, and then Texas, New York, Florida in the mix next. What do you see there? What's the current ranking? California, Texas, Florida, followed by New York, and fourth. Gotcha. Yep. So, fourth largest. Most of that population, of course, in New York City. But, yeah, and this is referring to the state of New York looking to pass a law that would totally outlaw, make it illegal, to sell... Gas-powered stoves in the state. No more gas connections for new construction. Already this has happened in some parts of California. I don't believe it's statewide. This is nuts. This is dumb. This achieves nothing, by the way. Nothing. It produces nothing. And it shows how deeply unserious the liberals, leftists, and Democrats really are about climate change. Because just a few short years ago, natural gas was considered clean energy. That's right. And you, but because you, the idiots are stuck on this fossil fuels nomenclature, and they considered light natural gas to be a fossil fuel. So it's got to be evil. <laughs> Have you seen that there's... Uh, some radical climate activists who want to remove the word natural from natural gas, trying to, of course, eliminate any reference that that might suggest, indicate that natural gas truly is from nature, which it is, and therefore it's harmless, which it is. They want to eliminate that. They These think, are the same fools that think they're doing something productive when they glue themselves to art or put paint on their hands and smear paint all over the glass surrounding famous sculptures at art museums. So true. Which I did see somebody cracked a pretty funny joke. I wish I could find it and, and give them credit for it. But they joked that, go on to the field of play at a major sporting event and try to propose to your girlfriend, and you will be tackled like you were in play in the field of play on the gridiron. They will not care about your safety. They will get you off that field. Yet somehow, you can waltz in to a museum with millions of dollars worth of artwork and just start painting crap on it. And everybody stands around with their thumb up their rear looking at you. 
<laughs> Maybe if some of these idiots started seeing the consequences of their actions and having a swift kick to the rear end, they wouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> well, the climate... Then again, a lot of these people, if they'd have got a swift kick to the rear end when they were kids, they wouldn't have grown up to be Democrats. That's very true. The climate activists, <laughs> they want to rename natural gas to fossil gas or methane gas <laughs> because... They believe that the, the natural label, the moniker, sort of holds it as, as harmless rather than the, the dangerous and explosive substance they claim it to be. Oh, my gosh. We are so blessed in this country, are we not, with an abundant supply right under our feet of fossil fuels. And we have fools in charge that will not let us use them. Under the pretense of climate change. After they spent generations trying to brainwash you into believing it was going to run out. That is true. And they finally figured out that wasn't going to impose change. Fine, we'll just do it ourselves. The fear-mongering, by the way, has caused many of childbearing ages now to say they are will not bring a child into the world because of climate fears. Oh, that's great. It gives me hope. That means in about 30, 40 years, we'll have a much smaller percentage of the population filled with dummies. (laughs) Oh, gosh. You know, this is what I think the left doesn't get here. The more they try to push this agenda, the more resistant are people. So I understand a lot of people that bring up all these objections to EVs. I hear, I hear you. I agree with you. It's, it's not ready for prime time. I've said that many, many times. But I also know that throughout the course of human history, humans have figured stuff out. It was the market and human innovation that transitioned us from steam and electric-powered cars to the internal combustion engine running on gasoline. And that came about because we figured out how to extract this. First, it figured out because we, we it happened because we figured out how to make oil and gas produce energy, usable fuel energy for power. We figured that out, and then we figured out efficient, productive, safe methods of pulling it out of the ground in its raw format, and processing it through a refinery to make it into usable fuel. All because of human innovation and capitalism. There was a profit motive. Oh my gosh, they make money off that. Can you believe it? Because they provide value for society. We can't have that. Well, I'm fairly certain all these EV manufacturers aren't selling it for cost. They're definitely not. And the government's given credits. So you can go buy all that stuff, which is a form of corporate welfare, honestly. But it fits the agenda, of course, of forcing you. So I was going to say, if they stop with the forcing and poking you in the eye every day, and, and the Secretary of Energy going to Capitol Hill and making the absurd, ludicrous statements that we're going to transition the military then I think you'd probably get 
more widespread market adoption. Just leave us alone, man. It's the same thing with the gender ideology stuff. Just poking in the eye. So if we can find it, uh, Rhino, I can't remember if I sent this to you, some sound from Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney, of course, is the transgender spokesperson for Bud Light. I may not have sent it to you, but in a nutshell, this is what Mr. I ain't calling Mr. Mulvaney Ms. Mulvaney, because he is a biological male, wants to make it against the law, punishment by law, for misgendering someone. For referring to them, I've been referred to so many times. It was a woe is me interview. I've been referred to so many times since this Bud Light controversy by my incorrect pronouns. People are calling me he and him. This has got to stop. They ought to be punished by law for that. That's where we are in this country. Punish you by law. Make laws outlawing referring to someone by pronouns just because it hurts their feelings, not because it actually corresponds to the gender they are that God bestowed upon them when they were born. That is incredible, but that's where we're going. It's the same exact thing as saying someone should be punished by the government. It should be against the law if you don't. Take the phone, the little toy phone some kid hands you, and act like it's ringing. That's true. Because that's all these people are doing. They're living in a fantasy land. (laughs) They don't exist in reality. They have their own little frou-frou fairy tale world where they are a girl. I'm a little girl. You're going to call me she, or I'm going to try to get the laws changed so that you go to jail because I'm a little girl. Even though they were born with tackle between their legs. Unbelievable. It truly is unbelievable. When we come back in the final segment on this day, I got another story for you that is disturbing and it concerns equity. Because we're all concerned about that, right? We're all Marxists now. That's what they want us to be. We shall return in the Element Well Studios and then. Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors after the noon break. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Duran, Duran. <laughs> Back with you, the Element Well Studios. Before I get to this equity story, Vivek Ramaswamy. Here is his his bullet point campaign pitch, his elevator campaign pitch. Excellence over victimhood, democracy over aristocracy, America over China, diversity of thought over appearance, truth over relativism, 
equal opportunity over equal results. That just perfectly sums it up. These are, in effect, the cultural challenges. The, the It defines what is eating away at this country, in my view. And I, I just perfectly stated. Sam from Mount Hermon says, Hello, Gerard, I agree with you. Young people sometimes are confused about who they are, but to make it a permanent solution is wrong. What about those that have gone through the medical procedures and still have not only have a mental disorder, but have medical problems and end up committing suicide? Yeah, it's like a high rate, very high, outsized rate relative to the rest of the population at large. Uh, just like my third cousin did last year. Hate to hear that, Sam. What a waste of a beautiful person. I, I really do. Yeah, and I agree, Sam. I, uh, and that's what most clear-thinking people say is before we just rush to this idea of going under the knife and administering hormones and all sorts of other medicinal therapy, let's sit down and maybe have a counseling session or two and see if there's not something else going on in the brain. Chase the cobwebs out of the brain before you just jump to this, oh, yeah, let's go, and then celebrate it. That's what bothers me. With respect to this equity movement in this country, what I call the march to mediocrity, schools across the nation are ditching homework, and they're just eliminating deadlines and objective test scoring grading. The latest, Las Vegas which is a huge school district in this country. The Clark County School District, I think, is the fifth largest in the nation. There are dozens of other districts in this country, California, even Iowa, Virginia, New York. They have made the transition to so-called equitable grading, with sort of varying extents of that. Clark County School District has 305,000 students. Totally new approach, equitable grading. And so they say it's all about measuring whether a student knows the classroom material, but without any penalties for behavior or missing deadlines or completing homework. And, of course, it's... Consultants involved in this, shakedown consultants, and this is all an effort to achieve equity because it turns out certain races and ethnicities evidently consistently score higher. So we're just going to water down the standards. In fact, we're just going to eliminate the standards. That way you can't tell. It's like a sporting competition when you don't keep score, like when you're three or four, right, because it's kind of a difficult concept at that point, but then you graduate and like, yeah, this is for real. We're keeping score here. We're really setting students up for a false sense of reality. Oh, my gosh. That's when you used objective grading. It's quite the opposite. So this is a trend that is sweeping the country that we are paying attention to that we should all be concerned about. Can't really see how we're going to win any war with electric vehicles operated by trans people. 
on the ceasefire text line. Thomas and Greenwood share what looks like an explosion in Ukraine. I don't know. That Russia dropped? Don't know. Stanley Meyer had a great idea when he came up with the process of converting a vehicle from grass to, uh, pardon me, gas to water, says Steve in Pontotoc. And what did you say? Except in, what, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there, his patents became public domain. So So they're free to use. And not a single person has been able to utilize his fuel cell patent to actually power an engine. Might not work. Hmm. CC in Sanitobia says about all this gender stuff. They're trying to rewrite science and biology, uh, biology, arguing now that you can't determine gender based on bone structure. Yeah, we've seen that as well, CC. Some schools are banning biology books that say males produce sperm and females produce eggs. Oh, yeah, we ban those, but if it's got sexually explicit content, pornographic material for kindergartens, well, then that's the end of democracy. That's exactly what they're saying. Republicans are banning these books. I have really enjoyed the show this morning, says Larry from McGee. Y'all have made me laugh out loud many times talking about the idiot Democrats. Keep telling the truth. Well, we appreciate that, Larry. Folks, I am not going to be here for the next three days. I'm speaking to an IT symposium, Mississippi IT symposium, tomorrow. At my alma mater, Ole Miss, the Patterson School of Accountancy, and then on Wednesday, moderating a medical marijuana event on Thursday. Back. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.